Welcome to Global Citizen Life Podcast. Today on the show, we have Marisol Camacho, who is originally from the United States, but now is living in Mexico. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell us a little bit about how you went from the United States to choosing Mexico and what you're doing there now. Yes, of course. This is a really fun story. I have a running joke that I progressively made my way down the border. So I grew up in Washington State. I lived there for about 19 years. And then the immediate opportunity I saw to leave, I jumped ship to San Francisco. And I was like, I want to live in a big city, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Did that life, had that fun. And then I burned out really badly. I mean, it's a really common story, especially in San Francisco with the startup culture. And so I kind of had to make this bold decision for myself of, I can't do this anymore. You know, my, my mental health, my physical health is more important to me than a job title or a role at like a fancy company, right? So I decided to move back home to Washington and... It just so happens I moved six months before the pandemic hit. And so it was like perfect timing because San Francisco during the mm-hmm. pandemic was a very, I would say, not comfy place to live, um, at least in Washington, you know, open spaces, uh, public parks, fresh air breathe, <laughs> not so many people mm-hmm. on top of each other. So, you know, hunkered down during the pandemic in Washington, and then I got the itch again to move. And then I moved to Orange County. So I say I progressively made my way down to the border. And um, when I was living in Orange County, um, unfortunately, life threw me a curveball and I separated from my then husband. And it was kind of just the opportunity to blank slate. If I could go anywhere and do anything, you know, what would that be? I had three months prior was on vacation in Mexico. I was in Puerto Escondido with a friend. And I had said to her, what if I got divorced and moved to Mexico to solely focus on like my healing? And it just seemed like such a far out idea. And then three months later, like that was a reality. Like I moved October, I moved October 10th, 2021. Um, It was my first year in Mexico. I moved like eight times. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) In total, I've probably moved between the U.S. and now Mexico like 30 times. Uh, Definitely an adventure. I know a lot about moving. (laughs) Mm, Definitely. Yeah. And so that leads me to where I am now in around August of last year. Again, life kind of gave me a moment to decide of, are you staying in Mexico or are you returning to the U.S.? Um, My father was actually born in Puebla. And um, he immigrated to the U.S. when he was three months. So he's pretty American, if I'm being honest with you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) However, uh, because of that, I was able to actually get citizenship through him through, it's like an ancestral right. They like passed this law not that long ago. Um, So I was like, okay, my citizenship is like about to happen. Am I going back to the U.S.? Am I not? Okay, I'm going to stay here. But where am I going to live? Because... Mexico City, well, beautiful, wasn't, I mean, I lived in cities, you know, like San Francisco is one of the biggest cities in the U.S., so I was like, 
mm, no, it's not really my vibe. I don't think I want to do city life again. And just to check that, I did live in Mexico City for three months and lived in two very distinct different areas, Cuyacan, Valladolid, and definitely was like, okay, thanks universe for giving me the opportunity to check this off that like, I don't want to do this again. And I actually ended up buying a home um, in Malinalco, Mexico. It's two hours southwest of Mexico City. It's a Pueblo Magico. We have like a Mexica pyramid at the top of the town. A lot of people come here for like spiritual pilgrimages, a lot of abundance of like fresh fruits, um, definitely nature, calming, healing vibes. So that's the condensed version of my journey to Mexico. <laughs> well, it's still quite a quite a journey being a condensed version of it as well. And I do agree, though, sometimes knowing what we don't want is just as important of knowing what we do want. And so even though you thought of Mexico City, you gave it a try for those three months that you were there and and great that you tried two different areas because depending upon the area or the neighborhood of a city can make a difference if you like it or not. Um, but knowing that you're unsure about it to begin with, but trying it, it's, it's important to also know not only what we do want, but I also say to people, it's just as important to know what you don't want. What are those kind of non-negotiable things or those deal breakers that absolutely I these things I don't want? Yeah, I 100% agree with you. It's interesting. And this morning I was writing in my journal, like if, because I do this practice just um, to practice my self-expression in terms of like what I want to write for social media, you know, posts or, or anything, right? And I was like, okay, so if I were to speak on the stage today, what would I say? And I would say, find joy in the process of learning what you do want as well as what you don't want because there's always a learning lesson and that can be enjoyable, right? Like for me, I find it to be such a win when I try something and I realize like, oh, wow, this is not for me, but I'm so grateful I learned this now. That's right. And I remember it was many years ago, I was thinking, well, maybe, maybe I should get into coding because there's so many coding jobs and you can go anywhere and be anywhere. And so I just started, I took uh, it was a free online course. I think it's through Coursera, um, which is great for people. Um, Coursera, I think, .org. And they've got hundreds of courses and all kinds of things. So if you just want to learn some new stuff or dabble or whatever, it's a great thing. And I, I regularly just take different courses for my own kind of knowledge and stuff. So I was taking a coding course and I did finish it, but I knew even before finishing that there was no way that I would ever want to do coding as a job. Like, I, I'm glad I did it. I learned lots because I've had websites and sold them and, and different things. And so when something's not working right, I, I have enough where I know what I can go in and fix myself. And I know when I need to hire somebody to do it because it's just not, not my thing. And I was still glad that I did it because it had helped me in the future from, from that time. Um, with my websites, but it was enough to also know, okay, I know I definitely do want to do that. So I would never even consider or look at, or if somebody was saying, hey, somebody's looking to hire a coder or these coder classes, nope. So it, it just takes that whole thought process away of, no, that's definitely what I don't want. So I'm not even going to think about or consider it ever again. Yeah. I feel like what you described is 
you know, it's great to try things and learn, right? But sometimes we can feel that, like I call it active resistance mm-hmm. when we're going to do something. Like for example, I too was like, I should code or like learn Excel, right? Because <laughs> that's really popular with data analytics. And um, well, just the opposite. I lived in San Francisco. That's the scene. Mm-hmm. But it was like when I showed up to like do the course on Coursera on Udemy, I was working with this active resistance, which is kind of like, for me, I'm always like, well, I already know that I don't like this. So why am I trying? Okay, I'm going to try, but it's probably not going to be a fun experience because it's just that active resistance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so how long have you been in Mexico now? Yes. So I have been in Mexico for two years, actually. No, okay. October. Yeah. Cause and, October. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And do you, so do you have your citizenship now? Is it done or is it still, because some countries are a little bit faster, some are a little bit slower. Um, and obviously with, with the family, once you have like birth certificates and proof of, of things, generally that's, that helps and it makes things go quicker. So you have now all of that in place. Yes, I do. That was a bit of an adventure. So 2021 mm-hmm. was spent with the adventure of finding my father's original birth certificate in Puebla, but it wasn't just Puebla. He like grew up or he didn't even grow up there. He was just born like right. six hours mm-hmm. outside of Puebla and he had never been there. So it was like this whole adventure of like for the first time in his life, 60 something years old, my dad, like seeing where he was born um quite the adventure right yeah um it wasn't there for some reason I don't know I I feel like you know what from what I learned back then when you were born like your birth certificate went through the church so it was like this whole process to just find the birth certificate then we found the birth certificate and the name was wrong which is very very common though in Mexico like they like yeah, the names are not correct on birth certificates from the past year. <laughs> so then it was this process of hiring a lawyer to go through that name correction. And as you can imagine, another step in the process. But I got really lucky. Um, it turns out when I bought my home, my neighbor, one neighbor, house over, one their house daughter, over. used to work in the Department of Naturalization here in Mexico. So um. yeah. Pretty much what happened is she just said, I need you to give me this, this, and this, and I'll get your paperwork done. And for me, very special case scenario, based on what I've been told, my paperwork for citizenship was done in a month. And that was done in January of 2023. Yeah, it was done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very lucky, honestly, because um, dealing, I, I mean, it's it's a bit of a catch because in for sure in Mexico, but also other countries as well. I know even Italy sometimes, you know, when we go back to our parents or, or for some that even go, that can go back to as far as their grandparents, finding that birth certificate is not easy because they just, it, it wasn't a big deal back then, right? It, it was, yeah, okay, we did it. And as you said, it could go to the church or sometimes to the, the hospital if the hospital still even exists anymore or you know, there wasn't as we now have like the registry office where we can just go get it. Um, and and so it that is one of the challenges um, of, of going that route to getting citizenship. But 
any way I, I find when when I've helped clients and and dealing with it and even going through it myself is there's no absolute simple way. <laughs> there's there's always going to be some things that take longer than we think. There's always going to be frustration and and generally speaking it's going to take longer than than we anticipate. Yeah, that's that's definitely the case. I remember when I was doing research cuz I was like, well, I mean, why don't I just do this myself, right? That was kind of my mm-hmm. initial thought. But then I started calling around the consulates. I got different answers from every consulate in the United States. And then I kind of was just like, you know what? For this service, I'm just like, the opportunity is here. Like they're willing to help me. Obviously they're a lawyer. I paid them. But for ease of mind, easy process, fast process, like that was so worth the investment for me because I have known people who are trying to go through the same process that I went through. They've been waiting for years, right? Three years. There's, yeah, there, there's definitely times when we can do some things ourselves for sure, but there's other times that it's just money well spent because either, either it's just the headache of, of doing it ourselves or the length of time is going to be a lot longer and I've had the same thing too, calling the same the same consulate, talking to two different people and getting two different answers. I'm mm-hmm. Like, don't you work for the same country and you're working in the same building, in the same office? How am I getting two completely different answers here? Yeah. But I've that's... Also, yeah, I've also heard this story of like what you read on the website is very different than when you're in the country standing at the consulate and you're trying to work through your visa paperwork. So, you know, and it's it's funny for me um, because I thought like piece of cake, right? Because one of my most earliest jobs is I actually used to file um, work petitions for a tech company. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I had an experience in terms of the like H-1B visas or work visas, right? And mm-hmm. um, in the past when I was married, my ex-husband is French. And so I actually did all his paperwork and everything went through fine, but I had had that experience, right? And in mm. the US, it's pretty straightforward. Like you follow the steps and if you have experience doing it, straightforward. So I was like, okay, maybe I can do it here. No. <laughs> yeah, other countries, like my, my when I was getting a residency in Spain, we had all the documents and my a friend of mine was a lawyer and he's like, okay, I'll go with you. We go, we have all the documents. They're speaking in Spanish and, um, and then we leave. And he's like, what? And, and he's like, well, we have to get this other document. But I, I know that he had said to them, like to the guy on the other side of the table, he's like, look, we have all the documents. This is what it says on the website. We have everything. I know what I'm talking about. I'm a lawyer. I, I do these things. We have everything. And the guy sits there and looks at me and says, well, I want it. <laughs> so we had to rush and arrange and get it. So then, and of course it was a Friday afternoon or late morning, early afternoon, whatever it was. And to rush to then go back Monday now without an appointment. And they're like, what are you doing here without an appointment? And, but thankfully he was in a much better mood on Monday morning than Friday afternoon. And sometimes I think that's, just the luck or unluck of the draw that you get um, with dealing with some of those things in in various countries. Yes, I would definitely agree with that. As someone who tried it, I did go to a couple offices around like different 
um, cities, specifically Toluca, like the Office of Foreign Affairs, like Registry Office, like all these places. And everyone was like, no. And I was like, but I thought you're the office for this. Well, can you at least tell me where to go to get it? No. I was like, okay. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. And one thing too, I know, um, especially with Spain, because Spain has 17 different autonomous regions. And so most of the documents and paperwork is the same, but there are in some cases, because each region is autonomous, you may need a different document or an extra one or something because they each make up their own rules. So it's it's tough because I see lots of people will post something in maybe a Facebook group or online asking questions and people will, they're from all over and they're like, well, I did this or I did this or I did this. Well, it depends on first, as we know, the person that you were dealing with, but also it depends on the region because those, those small things could vary slightly. Like for example, um, within Barcelona, I had to have private healthcare until I got my residency. And as soon as I got it, I could cancel it if I wanted to. But there's other regions that you have to keep your private health care for at least one year. It's a minor thing, but it's important that, you know, people need to know that. Or you have to have documents that are no more than four months old as opposed to no more than six months old. Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden, if it's six months or seven months old, it's not valid anymore and you have to get a new one. And if they take longer to process it, then you're like getting a new one again. So there there can be frustrations, absolutely. But I do feel it's very important uh, for people to have a second citizenship. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I do know a lot of people who kind of just, I would call it gypsy between the places. And, mm-hmm. and me... You know, obviously my first year I was working on getting all the documents necessary. I honored my visas, you know, how long I could stay, you know, when I needed to go. Like I I followed that whole process. However, for me, gypsying, it was something that I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to have roots. I think it's really important because you you just want to be able to have like, not only for like legal reasons, but also just like, there's a track record that like, I I legally Mm -hmm. live here. And, you know, in the future, if you want to do something, you know, it could potentially come up if you were not, if you were living here and, you know, they can tell by your visa stamps um, and it was not legal that you could potentially have some repercussions. So it was just really important for me to like, okay, I do have a way to get my citizenship. It's not that complicated. I thought it wasn't that complicated. (laughs) Um, It was complicated to get the preparation, but the execution was seamless because I just found the right person, you know, got the right help. Right. And I mean, even if you if you weren't as lucky and didn't have your your neighbor to help, the process still would have gotten done. It would have just taken a little bit longer, but it it definitely would have gotten done. I mean, thousands of people, probably hundreds of thousands of people get citizenships in different countries, various ways every single year. So I, I always say if there's a will, there's a way it may not be easy. It may not be cheap and it may not be fast, but there's a way. (laughs) And so the biggest thing of dealing with any government, any government, all governments is patience. Mm -hmm. And that is hard because, you know, the one will say something, somebody else will say something else. It'll be this long. No, it takes that long. And it's patience, but it's 
and eventually it, it does get done. Yes, that was definitely my main lesson during my my process of becoming a I'm a naturalized citizen. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. a Mexican birth certificate, which whenever I tell people that they're like, what, how? And I'm like, well, my dad was born here. The way that they do it is like I have like I'm a natural citizen because my father right. was born here. Um, but during that whole process, I was like, patience, just have patience. Like, I know it feels like nothing's moving. I know the lawyers keep telling you the same answer, but just have patience that it's going to happen. And then it happened in a way faster timeline than I thought. I thought at least Mm -hmm. I'd have to wait like three to six months, but it did happen. So the patience, reminding myself of really being patient paid off. (laughs) Right. Great. Good. Uh, Of course. And so now kind of how how is day-to-day life there in Mexico different from when you were living in the United States? Oh, well, yes. So I think of this as in the United States, I was constantly like grinding in terms Mm -hmm. of nine to five job or this project or that person or this or this like busy, busy, busy. But now my life just has a lot more like spaciousness. It's a lot more, I would say, sustainable, not only in the way of just living day to day, but also like I live so close to um, farms that have like natural produce. Um, There's a lot of community, a lot of like everyone here knows each other. Like we call it like, I mean, you know, we live in a small town, she's muscles, like, you know, Yeah. I, and, and in the U S you don't really get that. Right. But I, I feel like that's the difference between a collectivist, you know, way of living and an individualistic way of living. While I find the pros and cons of both. I do yeah. think, you know, based on my background of, of really starting to understand more of the psychology of, of humans, like we need community. Right. And, and most of what I'm finding, especially with the clients that I work with, you know, their communities are really important to them. And so the fact that, you know, the U.S. that's not really prioritized, I'm kind of like, huh, it's really interesting. And kind of just think about how the culture is in the U.S. It's, it's definitely a topic that is juicy to dive into and has been on my mind a lot since living in the, in the contrast. It's, I, I agree with that completely. And I'm just thinking it was, it was a while ago, and now I, I don't remember if it was an article I read or maybe it was a, a podcast or something that I, I was listening to, and and it did say that um, loneliness is, is um, and increases our risk factor for death. So with, with that, I don't know, it probably wasn't worded that way, but um, that people who are lonely um, don't live as long, and people who feel part of a community and have a social life. Um, and that doesn't mean everybody has to be um, very extroverted. Introverts still have social lives. So I don't want it to be taken that way. But yeah, people who are lonely tend to die earlier than people who have community around them. Yeah, there's this really interesting documentary on Netflix. It just came out, I think, in the past month. It's like how to live to 100. And oh. one of the, yeah, one of the main factors that he was finding this researcher amongst all the countries that he was studying that were blue zones was that they had community yeah and that was like one of the main like factors they had community and they had purpose um and so yes purpose is another big one 
Yeah. And so I thought that that was really interesting. Like, you know, it's not so much about how much you work out or what diet you have. Obviously those things play a role, but it was more this emotional connection to other people that helps us to, I would say, live longer, fuller lives. Mm-hmm. And I think those two, not completely, but fairly well go hand in hand, because if we're, if we're part of a community, we, we automatically have a, a level of purpose, right? Or if we're doing things, whether we're volunteering, we're helping out, um, that part of, of the purpose draws community in because then we're around other people. So they do, they do go hand in hand. And, and I think they are very important things to have. And it's great that you've found your community and your, your area there, um, in Mexico. Yeah. What, what would you, what would you say though, um, are, I don't want to use the word negatives, but maybe some of the more challenges or kind of things that you weren't really expecting in on, on a day-to-day lifestyle. Oh, yes. Well, I wasn't expecting to sometimes have to take cold showers. <laughs> oh, that um, would not be good for me. <laughs> just because, but you adapt to it. And also apparently it's really good for your nervous system. So I was like, that's what they say. This is like rock and roll with this. Um, I wasn't expecting for the power to like go like in and out so much. Uh, now, however, I do have like a power bank specifically for my like Wi-Fi router so that, you know, when I'm having calls um, with clients or on podcast episodes, like that's not a factor that interrupts anything. Um, let's see. Like that's just kind of more like day-to-day life thing. Culturally, I mean, there are still some very like traditional, like patriarchy ways of doing things here, like communication Mm -hmm. style. So like, for example, if I wanted to like sit at the table and be the sole negotiator with maybe let's say an older generation of, um, you know, Mexican men, that, that just doesn't happen. And so that's obviously different for me because I would totally be able to do that in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. Like they would be like, okay, you have money and you're ready to pay. Great. Let's negotiate. But here it's, there's a lot more social etiquette around, like, I would say the, the more traditional, mm-hmm. you know, generation, but the younger generation I'm finding is modern and really starting to like, let go of those, I would say more patriarchal ways. It's actually a really big movement, especially in places like Mexico city, um and let's see day-to-day live challenges I mean having space to breathe and decide what you want to do like is that a challenge (laughs) well I'm sure you know I'm sure there there's an adjustment period I found because I've lived in many countries and at first it's always great and it's exciting and it's new and it's finding all the shops and this and that and whatever else and then there becomes, um, I'll call it a lull. I, I don't, cause I don't want to say it's a really down, but that, that excitement is worn off and then like, reality sets in. Everything isn't new all the time and it becomes the day to day and, and some things become mundane because it doesn't matter where we live. There are certain things that are just no big deal after a while. Um, and then that's when, Sometimes I find even myself, I'm kind of like, did I make a mistake? Should I have done this? Oh. And then I realize, like, because I did it even when I moved into this place and I've, this is like my fifth country I've been in. And then I said, 
Sally, it's the process. It's part of the process. It's all new. That's wearing off. You need to make friends. You need to do things. So there, there comes that bit of a lull. And then you kind of work for me. I, and then I kind of work my way into um, that routine. And I think that's a very normal process that we go through no, no matter where we move and no matter how many times uh, we relocate um, is, is what I have found anyway for me. Yeah. You know, now that you're speaking to it, it's reminding me um, on Roaming the Now, my podcast first season, the main theme that everyone said is wherever you go, there you are. It's usually about three months. Everything's new, fresh and exciting. But Mm -hmm. after that, like it's still you and you still have to work with your things. You know, Mm -hmm. I oftentimes see people be like, oh, I want to move to a country for like a fresh start and just to leave everything behind. And I'm like, well, like, that's amazing. I'm supporting you in your move. I want to let you know, though, you're not going to leave everything behind, you know, like the things that you are maybe running away from are actually going to follow you. It's just going to manifest a little bit differently, show up a little bit differently and actually maybe be a little bit more intense because you're in a new country. It's foreign you're alone and you don't have your community. So that's why whenever people are like, oh, wow, I want to move for a fresh start. I'm always like, well, I think environment plays a big role in our personal growth and in our involvement. If we're not actually working on those internal things, no matter where we go, we're going to end up having that same sentiment of, did I make the right decision? Is this the right place? Just because we're kind of feeling sticky. Hmm. And and it's true, we can not always, I mean, there, there's some, so I don't want to say always, but we're, we don't, out, we, we can't run away from our problems. I mean, there, there's certain things, absolutely, when we, we move, we leave behind, we maybe don't um, contact certain people, we maybe don't eat certain foods, there's, you know, there's some things, absolutely, that there becomes a disconnect. But a lot of times with what makes us happy moving doesn't, it's not just automatically going to change because it's within us. And so we need to make ourselves happy. Now, sometimes the change is good, of course. Um, but, but if it's, you know, I know people who, as we would say, have everything, have lots of money, have cars, have this, have that, have it. And they're lonely and moving. They're like, Oh, I'm going to move here. It'll be a new start. It'll be better. But it, it's not, it's, it's just repeating. It's good for, as you said, that first while, but then it repeats itself because we have to think what, what do we need? And just as you said earlier, that sense of community and that sense of purpose, and we need to create that. Of course, we want to have a lifestyle that we enjoy. So instead of, um, as you said, grinding all the time, being in a place where you're more relaxed, you're, you're obviously still working, you're still doing things, but it's a more relaxed place, but you're still finding your community. You still have your sense of purpose and doing those things, which are really important because it doesn't matter where we are after a few months when that newness wears off, I'm still with me. And if I'm not happy with me, it doesn't matter where in the world I am because I'm still stuck with me. <laughs> yeah, I would, I will say this. And I think this is a really core relief of mine. The most important relationship that you have in this lifetime is the relationship with yourself, because that means that no matter where you are in the world, you have that sense of home within you. You have that sense of safety within you. And when you have those two things, 
you're able to see the opportunity around you, right? Like it could be really easy for me if I didn't have those two things to be like, oh my God, I live in this Pueblo Magico, there's nothing to do, la la right? Mm-hmm. But actually, yeah. it's me being like, wow, okay, so I live here. There's actually a really a lot of cool things to explore. The more integrated you get into the community, let me do more of that. Like for example, the later on today, I'm going to a pottery workshop because I found that from being out in community. So I think that's really like the difference, right? Is how do I want to interact with my environment? But that really all starts with you and the relationship that you have with yourself. Right. And no matter where you're at, the best way to know what's going on and to find new things and do new things is to know within the community. Because there's always things that are going on that you're not going to see on the internet. You're not going to find online. And it's because certain group, if you, even if you're in a, a big city, it, it could be a group of people that are doing certain things. Um, you know, when you're in a smaller, a smaller place, it's, it really is being part of that community and knowing, and then through friends, one friend to say, Oh, Hey, I have a friend who's doing this. Let's go do that. And, um, and, and it's the way of knowing how to truly adapt. And I think in a way, it's a mistake that some expats make when they move is I get that they initially look for the expat community because it does make things easier and it helps to um, figure out some things, how to get some things done, where to find certain things. And and just that communication style is what we're used to. So there there is a, a, a good part is to, to have that, but it's also too many fall into the trap of, the expat community and they're only around expats and doing expat things. And so, you know, the odd time they'll do something that's, you know, cultural or a festival or, or whatever, but they're not really getting rooted into the community. And then it's, it's missing the whole experience. And I've seen people move to a place and buy a business and six months later, they're like, no, we don't, we don't like it here. And they have just sold everything, moved countries, and then leave. And I've seen it happen. Sometimes it's six months. Sometimes it's a year. And I just, I wonder, and it could be a number of things. Like, did they do their research? Did they just read some articles online? And there's many out there that everything is rainbows and butterflies and sipping cocktails on the beach for sunset every day. And it's like, that's not life. That gets boring real fast. Um, it's enjoyable at first. I get it because we all need a break from work and we we enjoy that. That's what we call holidays, but then it gets boring. And so it's it's really looking into what do you want? What things do you enjoy doing? Are those things available in that area? And and to be part of the community, do you do you like that culture, that lifestyle, learn the language, um, which I've been terrible at, I have to admit. Um, but it's um it's, it is, it does make, it does make a difference. Yeah, it, it really does make a difference. And you bring something to mind. I would say that I'm actually like, probably not your typical expat because when I did come to Mexico, I stayed with family. And so my family integrated me very quickly into what is the way to live life as someone who's born and raised in Mexico. I've had friends here born and raised in Mexico. I've lived in places where it's not common for people to speak English, where I live now not common for like people to speak English. So my experience has been really about being integrated in the culture. And I don't know a bunch of expats here, you know, obviously, you know, I'm in groups and, you know, I've connected, but I would say for my day-to-day life, 
uh, I'm, I'm very much so integrated into the culture of the area that I'm living in. And that's been super cool. I've learned a lot more around um, like the Toltecs and, you know, what is that significance of that culture in Mexico? And, you know, I've learned a lot about Temescal, plant medicines, like more holistic things. And I wouldn't have learned that if I would have just been like, nope, I have to only live where people speak English, you know? Right, right. And that's, and and that is, um, unfortunately, what some people do, and they miss out on a lot. So I think that that integration, I mean, you're, you're lucky that you had family there to integrate a, a lot faster. But I, I know of people that have moved to Spain, and they're in a very small Pueblo, very tiny town, and they say, no, I, I don't want to be around all the expats. I don't want to be around all the North Americans. That's why I left. If I wanted to be around them, I would have stayed where I was. <laughs> Great. And so it is finding what we like and what we want. And whether it's that kind of small remote area, whether it's in the mountains, on the beach, in the mid-sized town or the big bustling cities, they each have cultural things to them. And, and every country is different from North to South, East to West. Um, like if I go to Mexico, and people say it and they, oh, I've been to Spain. I was in Barcelona for three days. Yeah, you did come to Spain, but Barcelona is, I would say, the least Spanish city in Spain. Um, and there's just so much more culture and so many more things to do outside. And, and Spain's a very large country as well. Um, and so if one region for somebody, maybe it doesn't work, like you were in Mexico City, for those few months and thought, you know, try it. And you're just like, no, I know I'm like Mexico. I know I like lifestyle, but this is just, I don't want to be in the city. I think that's a, an important thing to realize though, is just because you're in one city or one region that it, it's not the same throughout any country, the, the different areas and regions are going to be different. Yeah, absolutely. That's like really what it is. I know it's, <laughs> it is funny to think how everyone's like, I don't want to be around Americans. And this is why I moved. It's like, okay, but are you willing to challenge yourself to take that step to integrate into the community that you're going into? Because I'll be honest, knowing that I was moving from Mexico city to Malinago, I did have a little bit of fear because I was like, this is going to be a challenge because I'm moving somewhere where really like no one really speaks English. Like maybe a couple of the expats that I found, there's like a handful of us, but it took me almost six months of being here to find them. Um, and like, I was nervous of like, wow, okay, this is going to be a whole new way of life and a way of living. But that was a risk that I was willing to take because I did want to live somewhere more grounded, more in nature. I live in the mountains, subtropical, really nice. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it is, a, it is a risk that you kind of have to decide like, I know I don't want to be part of this American mindset culture, but am I willing to take that next step of I am integrating into a culture that I'm not familiar with and it's time to learn? Yeah. And I think, I mean, for, for people who are like, it's normal to be nervous and worried because that's, that's what our brain is supposed to do. It's supposed to question be like, Whoa, we don't, we don't know that. What, what if it's bad? What if it doesn't work? What if, you know, and it always goes to these negative things. Unfortunately, we can't train our brain to go to more to the positive things. To be like, what if it's great? Yeah, it's it's going to be challenging, but there's great things to those challenges and, and learning stuff. And so I've said to people too, I said, like a worst case scenario, you don't like it. I mean, you, ha you have to try for one. 
But if you really don't like it, you can always leave. Just as you left the city and, and moved to the, to the smaller region and, and you didn't want to be there anymore, that, that was a move. I mean, you're still in Mexico, but you weren't stuck in Mexico City. And for people sometimes who maybe, you know, they try a country and they're there for one or two years and for whatever reason, maybe it just doesn't jive with them or that was fine, but there's always another country or you could always go back to your home country, wherever you came from. So I, I say to people too, like you're not stuck forever. So just not, not to just say it to easily give up because it's, it's hard and, and you need to put in that effort. But at the same time, even though you put in effort, if you really dislike it, you're not stuck. You can always leave and go somewhere else. A hundred percent. That's what I've said with every move that I've ever done. First move to San Francisco. I said, if I don't like it, then I can leave. <laughs> and I think it's just reminding yourself. And I think that this mm -hmm. is more of the exercise for some personalities, right? Is, mm -hmm. okay, well, if I can move somewhere new, I can also move back. Like I'm not stuck. Right. There's always the option to go back home. So that's why I always mm -hmm. say that home for me now is in Mexico. The idea of going to like Washington state, I think of it more of like, oh, well, that's where I grew up. It's my you know childhood roots. But for me mm -hmm. now, home is Mexico. And so I'm really happy with that. Um, I don't see myself leaving, maybe moving to another region. I always tell people when they ask me, it's funny, uh, if I were to go like move out of Mexico, where'd I go? And I was like, Valencia, Spain. I don't know why, but there's something about Valencia, Spain that's always been intriguing to me. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. Valencia is beautiful and it's not as busy as Madrid or Barcelona yet. I think it, it is growing. Um, but hopefully it'll never, I shouldn't say that, but you know, it's, it's nice. It's, it's beautiful and it's nice. And it, I just, for me, like, I love the big city. I'm, I lived in Barcelona. I, I'm there often still. Um, but I also like to escape the city as well. You know, I, I, I like, I like both worlds. I like to be in a town. I'm, I've got a place in Montenegro in a town surrounded by mountains. There's I don't know, 30,000 people that live here. So, and I'm back and forth between Barcelona, which gets 30 million visitors a year, doesn't even include the people who live there to like 30,000 who live here. So it's it's a big difference, but I, I enjoy it. I go to Barcelona, I get overwhelmed after a while. I'm like, I just need a break. And I come to Montenegro and I love it. And then I get bored. I'm like, I need something more. And then I go back. So it's, it's a back and forth for me. And, and that, that works for me. I know that's not for everybody. Um, but again, it's, it's for each of us finding what we enjoy, what we like, what we want and what works for us. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's finding your place in the world and it takes trial and error to do so. Mm -hmm. So if we have some listeners that are kind of on the fence, they're unsure what to do, um, what kind of advice would you give to them? Oh, my advice. So if you are feeling the craving, the urge to make a bold move, right? The bold move can be moving to another country. It can be switching that career. It can be leaving that relationship, then follow it. There's a reason why you have that urge, that craving, and you never know unless you try. And, you know, for me, whenever I followed that, desire, that craving for something different, it's always played out better than I could have expected. 
So that's really my advice. If it's calling you, it's meant for you. Be open to how it'll unfold. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That just, that just talked to me specifically too. And it's like, okay. Cause I've been having some things I'm like, uh, but I'm nervous about it. But I'm like, I know I should be because it's normal. I'm like, uh, and so it's, it's about a, an, another relocation to like the, I don't know, sixth country or something I'll move to, but yeah. So, but I'm wanting to, to kind of settle down. Um, but that's a whole other topic to to talk about. So say, we can connect on that later. You know, that's that's actually <laughs> primarily the work that I do with clients now is helping them really to decide and, and, and emotionally support them for making that decision around making that bold move. You know, one of the things that I did after becoming a certified professional coach is I went and studied to become trauma-informed. Now I'm studying to be a therapist, but I realized that it's not necessarily... Like we can't do it on our own. It's just, we need that emotional support. We need that person to support us when we're making these big decisions. Absolutely. And, and a lot of times, unfortunately, our friends and family are not the ideal ones or, or even in some instances, not all, but people with a, with a big move or career change, it's really hard to get advice from somebody who hasn't done it or hasn't gone through it. Um, because like, they just don't know, like, I can't talk to my friends too much. Like, I, I do a bit, but they, they don't give me advice about if I should move to another country or not. Cause they kind of look at me and go, you've lived how many places? Like, what's the problem? What are you, what's your concern? Like they just, you know, which is fine. And it's been that way, but even just like business things, they have jobs. They do Monday to Friday, nine to five. They, they do well. They like what they're doing. Um, if I talk to them about some business stuff, sometimes they're like, well, I don't, I don't get it. Like, how do you do certain things? Or, um, you know, there, there's just, there's not that experience to give that. And unfortunately with, with family and friends in a good way is they want us to be safe. They want us to be safe and they want us to be close, which is understandable because we're part of that community there where their community, they're ours and they want that. So us leaving is is messing up the community and sometimes even though they they do say things with the right heart it's not the right advice it's right for them but maybe not necessarily right for us and because they don't understand either exactly how we feel yeah exactly and this is why i always say to everyone like when you're looking to hire a mentor support or reaching out for advice Ask someone who's been there, done that for what you mm -hmm. want to do, because you can't solicit advice or get insight from someone who doesn't have the same aspirations as you do, or has never done what you want to do. I mean, you Absolutely. can, but you're going to get a very misconstrued answer. That's probably not supportive of where you want to go. Right, right. Which is similar to what I say to people. Don't, don't get advice from somebody. If, if it's life advice or business advice or things like that, don't get advice from somebody who's not living the life that you aspire to. Because they, if, if they're giving advice, that's been their life, that's their advice. So you're going to get the advice that's gotten them to where they are. If you don't want to be where they are, you can't take their advice because that'll get you to where they are because those are the decisions they've made. So we need to get that from the people that have the life, the job, the career, the whatever it may be that we aspire to have because they have it, they've done it, they've gone through it and they know. 
Well, Mary, so um, how can people get in touch with you? Where's the best place to find you if, if they want to connect or potentially work with you? Yeah, definitely. So you can visit my website. It's www.connectwithmarisol.com. And I have my own podcast called Romy the Now, where I speak with other expats all around the globe around the emotional, psychological effects of what happens when you build a life and business in a brand new country. So that's how you can connect with me. Perfect. And we will put those links in the show notes below to make it easy for everyone to connect. Awesome. Thanks so much well, for having me. Thank you very much for your time and sharing your, your story and experience. And I'm sure our listeners got some valuable information. Awesome.